Hi, and welcome to Sustainability Explored. Every week, as you probably already know, this podcast explores a new topic through interviews with the most disruptive minds in sustainability, turning their experiences working behind the scenes into actionable advice you can use in your life, no matter your background. My name is Anna. I'm an environmentalist, sustainability consultant, and the host of this show. Before we start our interview today, I have a little announcement to make. Many of you asked me over the course of this year whether I could give you some career advice in the field of sustainability. In November, I opened my calendar for sustainability career consultations for those who'd complete two requirements. Leave this podcast a review on iTunes and book a call on my website. You will see the link in the show notes. And I was extremely delighted to see the warm reception of such opportunity. Since some of you prefer to simply have a consultation without the need to leave review, I'm now officially adding sustainability career consultations to the paid services I offer. If you're feeling stuck, need to make a difficult decision on which turn to take, this might be for you. All the details are in the show notes, check them out. Right, and now back to our interview. Today we will be talking about something that has been bugging me for a while, and especially during COVID time, since our work, mostly, shifted online. The topic of today's episode is digital carbon footprint and how to measure it. Our special guest is Frank Meehan, the co-founder of Equilibrium World, a data science-powered sustainability platform for businesses. He's also a partner at Spark Labs Group and Spark Lab Cultive 8, 8 as a digit. Frank's passion is in building and investing in solutions for climate and sustainability. He now focuses on quantifiable initiatives and technology innovations that help companies balance their impact on our planet. I'm very excited Frank joins us today at Sustainability Explored to share his knowledge, experience and plans And I can't wait to start our interview. If you're ready to, let's get it started. Frank, it's so nice you you join us today at Sustainability Explored. I have already introduced you a little bit in my intro, but I want you to to give a little bit of, of your background for the listeners. I know you have an amazing profile and an amazing experience behind. You've been sitting in the board of Siri and Spotify, and now you're running Equilibrium World, which is a data science-powered sustainability platform for businesses. Can you expand a little bit more on your background and especially on what you're doing now at Equilibrium? Sure. Well, Anna, look, it's a, it's a total pleasure to be here and chatting away to you on Sustainability Podcast. I am talking to you from Asia. I'm actually in Taiwan. We're a Singapore company. Um, I am the partner and co-founder of Spark Labs Group. And so it's a quite big sized early stage venture capital firm across Asia. And in particular, a partner at one of our funds, which is called Spark Labs Cultivate, which is focused on sustainability, food, agriculture, and uh, climate technologies. We've got about 27 investments around the world, which is headquartered out of Australia. And then I started Equilibrium World with uh, some great people about uh, at the end of last year. And the reason we did that is because 
as we were investing into sustainability sector, we found that corporates were managing things very manually and old school, like Excel primarily by consultants and, and that as sustainability was getting more and more complex, you know, with hundreds of metrics and very complex targets, like you know, being carbon neutral by 2030 across everything. And corporates were finding it difficult to say, we looked at it and saw that there was an opportunity to bring automation to their workflows, bring software to their workflows, and really start to automate those with AI, and particularly around hitting these goals, which I'm sure we'll chat about in the podcast, because everybody is setting carbon neutral goals this week. Um, those fires in California seem to have lit everybody up and woken everybody up. And and so that's what we do. And we have our technology team in Taiwan, our, our main business out of Singapore. And we've got customers in Asia and the US. And uh, it's just super exciting. Look, we, we're on a mission to build and invest in uh, solutions that fix our planet and particularly help businesses um, manage their impact on our planet. How exactly does it work? I know Google just announced they become carbon neutral now. What does it mean, carbon neutral? Does it mean they plant enough trees to offset their carbon CO2 emissions related to the data centers? What is it? I, I really am bugged by this question. Well, it's great, isn't it? I mean, just everybody started being carbon neutral. I think Microsoft is the most advanced being carbon negative, which is taking the carbon back out. You know, carbon neutral simply means I figure out what my carbon emissions are and then whichever way I do that, I achieve the ability to balance my emissions with my output, with my kind of my, with my input. And the way we do that right now, a lot of companies do, is you're right. Up to now, it's been buying, you know, planting trees, etc. But that's a very long-term procedure, as you might imagine. It takes a long time for those trees to to fix the planet, and so now it's moving heavily towards carbon capture. So capturing carbon, storing it into rocks, um, you know, into seaweed, and into different types of solutions that are happening. That is tremendously exciting. I'm very excited by carbon capture technology. Even though it's expensive, I think that that is going to prove to be a very interesting um, proposal for people. And, and also because it, that's really captured the Silicon Valley guys' uh, attention because they like that approach of you know, technology saving things. But look, it's very interesting. I mean, essentially... It's fascinating. I find humans fascinating. We've spent, you know, trillions of dollars uh, over the last hundred years taking carbon back out out of the earth, and now we're going to spend trillions of dollars over the next ten to twenty years putting it back in. And you just there can't make it up. You know, there. you can't make it up. You know, we're just so funny in this sort of thing. You know, but you know, I think there's very very interesting opportunities here now, and I think that's where the you know companies are setting carbon neutral and, and more importantly setting warming targets or so that their impact on the planet is in line with a a certain warming target be that 1.5 or 2.2 degrees that i also find is very strong but look essentially what's happening is that companies are suddenly figuring out they've got to do something and uh fix things i i am I am not a big fan of carbon offsets because the problem with carbon offsets, the planting trees thing is fine, but it just 
you're not actually fixing the problem. Like what you really should be doing is reducing your output, not just sticking with the same output and fixing it by planting some trees. Well, we, and, and you're now getting bigger companies like, you know, Microsoft are starting to really focus on that. How do we fix our emissions, not just by planting trees, but actually doing something? The problem is, is that when you look at carbon emissions, you know, everything is driven by what's called the greenhouse gas protocol, the GHG protocol, which is standard, you know, from about 20 years ago, which is a very comprehensive standard about hitting these targets or calculating carbon emissions. You have what's called scope one, scope two, and scope three. And this is all very confusing because, um, but, but what it means is scope one and scope two is the emissions that are under your direct control. So, you know, your, your own factory, the, the transport that you own, the energy that you are paying for. And then you have what's called scope three, which is everything else in terms of indirect. So that is leased assets, warehouses, transport that you've leased, franchises, investments, et cetera. Now, the problem for the very big companies is that 80% of their carbon emissions comes from their supply chains. That, that's what's called scope three. So to hit these targets by you know, 20, 30 carbon neutral or whatever they're setting requires massive changes in their supply chain and transparency of data so they can really drive suppliers hard to hit it. But the good thing about all of this is that these big companies, because they're putting procurement and supply chain right in focus if you see you know i think it was yesterday the facebook announcement they're going carbon neutral they were like we are going right down on procurement right down our supply chain same thing with microsoft and what that is doing is that suddenly forcing so many hundreds of suppliers to start getting focused they didn't think that they had to it was just going to be a big company problem and they didn't have to worry about it but now everybody's in the firing line you know i'm here in taiwan and you know, everybody's feeling the pressure from Apple putting lots of pressure here on suppliers around supply chain, around um, being carbon neutral and carbon data, but not just that, diversity targets, water, what are you doing, packaging, everything else that comes into with sustainability. It's super exciting because this is, this is what's making the difference is that the supply chain driven targets are really forcing lots of smaller companies to get in line and start figuring out what to do. Yeah. They say you cannot manage what you don't measure. How to <laughs> measure or let's say retranslate the whatever number into the CO2 emission? How do you do that? How do you how do you measure? Yeah, so you've got to take uh, there's a lot of data that you need to take. So um, but you need to take, as I said, like the product data, the employee commuting time at its basic level though. The waiting time on that, you can calculate the carbon emission fairly, fairly clearly. What gets when it gets much more complex is what they call life cycle management. So, how much did the product cost to build? How did it, how much did it cost to ship? And then after it's sold, what happens to it? How does it get recycled? Everything in that goes into that scope three calculations. If you're doing true scope three analysis, it's super complex. If you're just doing your initial sort of carbon footprint, relatively easy to figure out, you know, from your own data, but it starts to get complex quite fast. The tricky bit is getting that data as well. So product data, products can be broken into many, many different components and getting all the data around each one of those components is, is complex. How much went into making that steel? How much went into 
putting it together, how much did it went into shipping it, packaging it. So all of that goes into the into the calculations. I wonder now what motivates your clients to reach out to you? Is there any external pressure like the New Zealand recently, which just today issued a decree that now uh, climate reporting is compulsory and obligatory for any sort of investment? When we say like sustainability, we can still play around it. Climate, not so much. There is not so much knowledge and capacity inside of the organizations so when your clients reach out to you what and i imagine it's also quite costly just judging by the complexity of the of your own description what motivates them to take a step forward and to go into this there's so many different factors now so they will come from three main areas one You've got a bigger company like a Microsoft or something, which is chasing and putting pressure on suppliers for information around their sustainability and emissions. So that's a big one. That's almost the biggest now. The second one is then regulatory, like New Zealand, you know, uh, Taiwan, Singapore, many countries in Europe, all saying you have to do some sort of sustainability reporting. And that varies wildly. It can get very detailed like New Zealand, to relatively high level, like it is kind of in Singapore at the moment. But nonetheless, it's getting there. And then it takes various forms. So is it just carbon? Is it full sustainability? Which means everything, you know, there can be a lot of things in that. Um, Obviously, if you look at the UN Sustainability Development Goals, how much of those are applied? And then it's down to setting the goals and hitting targets so if you are in a country that has a carbon neutral target or a carbon reduction target so like you know 20 percent reduction by 2040 or something you are going to have to hit targets so it's not just about saying where you are and what you're doing but you have to figure out how to hit and reduce your emissions or your water output or, or whatever it is so that gets complex fast and then companies turn to us because you know by and large this was done on excel and with consultants beforehand that is not scalable it's costly it's expend it's time consuming and it's not scalable especially with the level of data that's required now so companies come to us and look at solutions for helping them automate their workflows so the monitoring the measuring we don't have iot devices ourselves but there are tons of IoT devices probably in the big companies and collecting all that data into one platform that helps them then calculate everything and hit and monitor targets is, is quite a bit of work. So you've got, and then the analytics and the benchmarking. So that's kind of like, firstly, just tell me where I am. And then we also have this great auto reporting tool, which helps you create reports, really nice reports um, with the data. And you can publish those or send them off to a designer, but it makes it makes the gathering and management and reporting of the data very easy. So that's by and large automated, and it works with the big standards and materiality standards like GRI and SASB and these other ones. Um, but that's just part of the problem. As I said, the second part of the problem is this goal setting, so hitting your goals. It's fine. There's lots of platforms out there to kind of help you figure out where you are your carbon footprint etc but the really complex thing is how to model it scenario plan it and predict what is the most efficient method over the next eight to ten years of hitting your target 
how to then manage your suppliers, how to get the data out of the suppliers. Is, is These are really, really big things to do. And that's where we really come to our own. We have this great goal-setting focus, which enables people to set and manage and hit their targets. That's, that's what I think is the biggest thing, hit your targets. It's fine to know where you are, but really hit your targets. And companies are also realizing if they've, as you see with Google and Facebook and that, like you can set some pretty aggressive targets now because you've got to, because you've got to be competitive. The, the big funds like BlackRock and Fidelity are very driven now on their investments saying, I want to see sustainability reporting. I want to understand climate risk. I want to understand financial risk, et cetera. So, and then just to answer your question around climate, we do have great people in-house and a great network of specialists who can help companies with the really complex climate risk modeling work as well. So there's like everything from equilibrium can handle solutions from so like just a basic carbon footprint all the way up to some pretty complex modeling uh, just because companies don't know where they are and can go on a journey quite quickly in terms of complexity. From where I am listening to you, it almost makes me cry. I have a feeling like I'm speaking to someone who is sitting in 2090 and I am I am so far in the past. When you say climate goals, the companies are setting the goals, where are they headed? I'm like, we are so far behind. We don't we have to start introducing the terminology before we get into into complex issues i have a question well obviously that part of the world asia singapore taiwan are leaders in this uh, data movement and they also managed covid19 quite nicely here is the question when we all most of us the lucky of us who switched into online work does it make it easier for companies to calculate their carbon foot, for footprint if you completely exclude commute? I don't know. So when you're working online and the organization is based mostly online, like Twitter, for example, huge company, mm-hmm. or Facebook, what do they do? How? What, what kind of impact do our emails, Zoom calls, uh, online events have on the planet? Well, uh, yes. Yeah, so that 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 now becomes the very big problem. So the reason why Facebook and Google and Microsoft are suddenly being very keen to talk about carbon neutral is that the consumer and business and sort of media have suddenly realised in the last year or so that data centres. Before, before COVID, data centers were the second or equal, even I think even bigger, carbon emissions than the entire airline industry. So data centers were suddenly becoming right on focus. Now, up till early this year, before the, before the pandemic, everybody was focused on airline travel. So the big technology companies and their big carbon emissions data, producing data centers uh, we're kind of out of the radar. Like, you know, people weren't really seeing it. Now we have no travel. So like the airlines are not the problem anymore. And fully right in the center of the target for everybody is the data centers and the big tech companies. Suddenly everybody realized that these guys were producing a lot of emissions. Now, to be fair to Google, Facebook and Microsoft, they've realized it very quickly and started to work on the problem. But 
obviously with the huge amount of remote working, everything is shifting so heavily to remote. That is obviously adding even more to the emissions through through the data centers. So now switching those on to the right types of power, solar, wind, etc. The production and management of those data centers is still high. The footprint of those data centers is huge um, from a physical sense. You know, hitting the sustainability of that of the data around of the data, these data centers, which is what is powering most of our work today, including this Zoom call, is a big focus uh, for these companies. And so, they are now much bigger than the airline industry. They, the airline industry is not the problem anymore. <laughs> yeah, and that's why they're suddenly figuring this out. Now, you know, you, you've got companies like Stripe, you know, the payments company, online payments company, have started now buying carbon capture credits, which is fascinating, fantastic. And, and that is the type of activity that we're going to see a lot more of in the next few months. Wow. Um, but... You know, it's incredible, some of these carbon capture technologies. You know, you've got a company like Carbon Cure, which puts CO2 into concrete by mineralizing it into calcium carbonate. You've got another one called Charm Industrial, which injects bio-oil into geological storage. So bio-oil is from biomass. It has a lot of the carbon captured by plants, so you inject it into, into rocks, basically. You're making the carbon storage quite permanent. And then you've got Climeworks, um, and Climeworks is probably the biggest one, and they capture CO2 directly from the air, they concentrate it, and then put it underground in balsonic rock formations. That's fascinating. I mean, it's costly, but it's, uh, it's what's there. And when you get companies like Microsoft who are saying we're going to be carbon negative, that means extracting carbon from the air and putting it in, and that's what I like about it because what those guys are doing, yeah, they know their data centers are, are causing a lot of the problem, but they're not just trying to plant trees. They're actually going, okay, well, let's capture carbon, the amount of carbon that we are putting into the air. Let's capture that and store it. That's a very good and admirable goal. All our work, all our remote working, everything has been driving more carbon. And what I know, you just reminded me when I was a teenager, so let's say, 15, 20 years ago, we didn't have internet at home. And so I had to travel half the city to get to my mom's office. She was teaching math in the computer class to use the internet. But I was coming there super prepared. I had all my questions on the piece of paper because I knew it was very expensive. I had very limited amount of time and I was copy pasting what the, the internet pages into Microsoft document. Then with the flashcard, I was retrieving it and reading it at home. It was very, very environmentally and climate friendly usage of the internet and of the technology. I'm like, how smart I was so long ago. Now, because That's it's so, so cool. You know, because it's so abundant, you can open your computer anytime, streaming services, Netflix, Spotify, speaking of uh, someone being in the board of Spotify a while ago, it, it lost its unique touch. Mm -hmm. And while it became so abundant, it also created a problem in itself. I always considered myself sort of a dilettante in technology. So for this interview, 
I crowdsourced the questions from the audience. It's the first time I'm doing it. So if you don't mind, we can switch to that part. So Absolutely. Amazing. Uh, sort of an experiment. Jack P. Taylor from LinkedIn asks, as a proportion of digital footprints, how much could be resolved by entities switching to green energy as the physical tech will have its own footprint? So the proportion that can be calculated to, that's a, a very good question. So um, I think that so if we, it's a good question. I'm not exactly sure on, on how much that would be, but but if we, there was a study done in 2019 by a, a, quite a great one, which is called the Shift Project. So if Jack looks up at the Shift Project, and they estimated that digital technologies, in their share of global CO2 emissions increased from 2.5 to 3.7% between 2013 and 2018. And at that time, in 2018, the aviation industry was causing 2.5% and rising of emissions. But that meant even back then, the data center or digital technologies, especially data centers, was greater already. Now, the, the problem is, is that the digital, the energy consumption of, of everything is slightly difficult to consider because, you know, it's, it really comes down to the type of power that's used. But the good thing about someone like, uh, you know, about Tesla and Elon Musk is that, you know, when he built those massive solar plants around the world to, to power everything, he's, he's really focused on the core problem. And we're seeing that the uh, companies out there, you know, the big digital, big digital companies can do the same thing. So let's say that that has now increased in, from, from the last time that study was done in 2018, it's probably over 4%, probably even 5% right now. You could save a, a, a percent, um, which is an enormous amount, through just efficient management and you know green energy into the data centers. I'm sure. So, so I, I would say that on the in terms of the planet, it's quite a large amount that can be fixed, improved through switching to different types of energy. Off to the next question, Olesa Lane from Facebook. Uh, the impact of old emails sitting in our email boxes? Does it have any impact? Wow, what a great question. So storage cost is there. So storage cost is obviously, you know, storage, the the, the, the core that is sitting in a in, in a Google data center somewhere probably. And and the storage cost is is there. It is very, very, very small. Storage right now is a very small part of the problem. It's really comes down because nothing's really happening. It's just been stored. What What's the bigger problem is the calculations that are powering, you know, the Amazon and Facebook algorithms. So every time you're buying something or every time you go to Amazon, it's search, it's, it's algorithms kick in for recommendations and recommendations engine. That is processor heavy um, calculation. So that is far more of an issue. So Amazon, just visiting an Amazon page, I would guess, I mean, I, I'm not entirely sure, but I would guess that that is probably far more output than your email sitting in storage somewhere, which is really not doing anything. Next question from Narges Hamesha Daniels. I heard somewhere about possibly using space for storage. Is it so? Space like outer space? For storage, I would say a storage of waste or storage of 
Did is there anything specific about, specific about storage? I think data centers. Data center storage. Uh, I I think that's not that's very far away. Yeah. On a higher level, are big tech guys talking about the data storage issue at all? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that's when all these big guys are saying they're going to be carbon neutral and or carbon negative. I mean, it really does come down to data center management. Uh, they are very, very focused on it now. Now, that's the big guys, but they are. Yeah, they, they recognize it. I mean, as I said, uh, before the pandemic, they were already contributing more emissions or digital technologies to creating more emissions than the aviation industry. So really, it's going to be very, very focused on them now. And it really has suddenly become a, a big, big thing on these guys now. So I think that are they, you know, you're probably thinking that, you know, the, the big ones are sort of like, is that data, you know, it is the Netflix style things that are happening. But the thing is, is that everything changes so fast, right? So while data center demand has grown 550% in the last eight years, the energy needed to power those data centers has only grown 6%. Now, of course, there's so many more data centers, so that's part of the issue, but the energy requirements for those data centers has not grown. And, and of course, there's more and more efficient ways and more efficient ways of managing it. They, you know, you get more, you know, hyperscale type servers, etc. but the data is increasing. And so, it is getting to be a problem. Obviously, the amount of electricity using Bitcoin was one of the biggest, you know, biggest contributors to electricity use for for a while there. But at the same time, things get more efficient. So I, I do think that the big guys are very, very focused on it and are making those data centers and the energy usage of them more and more efficient. Yeah, I'm, I'm less. I have to say, in this particular issue, when it comes to carbon, is I think they will get this under control. What I'm more interested in is the enormous footprint from a physical sense that these data centers have and that that impact is is obviously something to be looked at as well what do you mean the heating of the physical storage yeah just the, the number of them the size of them the <laughs> the, the the just the physical footprint on the earth mm -hmm, mm -hmm. something to consider Next block of question comes from questions comes from uh, the German NGO that I'm part of, United Europe, and it's amazing uh, young European advisors. First question from Raphael Kohler: How to assess the usual carbon carbon footprint for cloud computing in the sense of storage of data and calculation, like machine learning and analytics? Yeah, so it's the server. It's the server costs, and then the energy required to power those servers. It's, it's it's again not a. It's a relatively easy thing to to work out. It's like how much how much server time or how much server yeah how much server time went into it. So so we're doing a project right now for Paris Fashion Week, which has a big event, which is VR powered, obviously being remote. And we are helping that event be carbon neutral through simply, and we do that by calculating the server cost of the the VR. Exactly, how is it going to run? How is how much is that? How much went into also the production of the VR space itself? So they've replicated the space in VR, so that required a lot of um, processing time. So calculating that, and then when it runs, calculating that, how many people are linked to it. 
etc but it is it does come down to that and then what is the energy source used to power that server time yeah so um so microsoft i think in 2019 so their data centers are running on 60 percent renewable energy amazon's 50 percent renewable energy so these guys are starting to get this under control mm -hmm. cool on the more on the corporate level corporate use cases of blockchain and other distributed ledger technology same thing same same question how to calculate how to assess same thing like how much server time went into into you know that blockchain uh into the blockchain whatever work was done on the blockchain and and yes that is server intensive but again it's just a simple calculation like uh, based on uh, on what was actually done. I love your optimism when you say it's a simple calculation. My mind almost exploded a couple of minutes ago, and it's simple for you. Yeah, when it comes to so the digital side of things is relatively simple because it is. If you're not calculating phone processors and you know home laptops and everything, if you're just calculating, you know how much netflix is putting into powering a you know streaming movies all over the world which is by far the biggest impact that is relatively easy to to calculate once you start going into home wi-fi usage you know cell phone usage you know etc then it gets complex it gets very very complex but if you're just focusing on the big companies and what they do themselves it's not that hard to calculate. Mm -hmm. A couple of more questions. Anna August Penninger asks, look at the places data centers are being set up in. Microsoft just tried an underwater DC in Scotland. Only a fraction of the problems that normally occur, humans cannot access, and water cools everything. Very interesting to imagine digital and nature being that close. And it's a great point. I mean, and again, you know, look, people are figuring out these solutions to these problems. So, and I think that's what's cool. That's just a great way of looking at things. And the the, the thing is, is that, again, Microsoft and Google and Facebook are doing a lot to to do this. I mean, they are they are figuring this out. But there's a lot more than just these guys. And those guys are less focused on it. I mean, the data centers in China, in Russia, in Africa, you know, as focused on this problem, you know, are they going to put their data centers underwater to cool it? No way, not, not for a long time. So I think while, yes, they are okay, it's great, but we need more people to, to do this. But yeah, I mean, you know, using cold water or groundwater to cool and do cooling is, is very cool. The, I would just add on that one. Yeah, that's cool. But a lot of these data centers are, and, you know, the current ones are not in, you know, easy locations. They're in the desert. They're in, not in locations which are built up areas. And it's often hard to get water to those areas. So that's where I get a little bit more worried about it. Like, you know, cooling systems, you've got to optimize the airflow, you've got to reuse wasted heat, um, you've got to use deploy low power servers. There's, there's, there's quite a lot of work involved in this. And yes, the big guys in the US are pretty focused on it, but I'm not sure about the rest of the world. 
a dilettante question from my side. Is cooling necessary for the data centers? Because it's almost like we're talking about nuclear reactor. Is cooling necessary? Yes, very much so. On the environmental side of things, I definitely see a problem with if it's a natural reservoir of water, placing a data center that heats the water, the natural water up, I see a problem there for the ecosystem. <laughs> Well, there is there is that. I mean, so I mean, when the reason you do cooling is that you get energy efficiency. So by using enhanced, you know, cooling technologies, you're basically using less power and you're driving the cost down. So you're getting energy efficiencies. Now, but you know, water does dissipate heat relatively quickly. So I I, I don't know that's going to be a big problem at the moment. Mm -hmm. Okay. Next question is from Thomas Berhaus. Anna, also mm -hmm. please ask, in what industry digitalization has had and is most like to produce the highest marginal CO2 reduction gains? For example, because people do not travel to services anymore. And also where the guest sees digitalization potential, that will mm -hmm. have very high effect on lowering the carbon footprint in the future. So the question is, what area in digital will have the biggest savings or impact? Was that the question? Industry sector, yeah. Which industry sector has the biggest savings um, in digital? Mm -hmm. uh, well, I would say in digital, that's going to be the you know Google, Microsoft, Netflix, Apple, so guys that are, you know, the guys that are powering the internet and huge consumer usage everywhere and business usage everywhere on the planet, AWS, Amazon Web Services, Microsoft Azure, all these guys are, they're the, that, that is the biggest impact. And that is why, you know, the big five or the big six getting and focusing on that Spotify, et cetera, focusing on that, on that is great. So that, that, that is the biggest impact for sure. And outside just those, of the just digital, the top five or six. Yeah, and outside of the digital, like transport, agriculture, maybe. Oh, outside of that, it, so transport, you know, for sure is is obviously still the the biggest thing. Shipping and and transport is is the biggest thing. I mean, the costs involved in trying to reduce shipping and transport is is huge. I mean, it's estimated just for shipping and maritime. It's going to be $1.2 trillion to halve emissions in the maritime industry. And those emissions just keep going up. So it's, they, these are not easy problems to solve. You know, yes, we've got some nice electric trucks running around in the US, but still that's a very small fraction of everything. And, and they're certainly not elsewhere. Um, so, you know, how fast the change in transport happens is, is going to be interesting. Mm -hmm. One last question from Contrino, Luca. Uh, hi, Anna. Perhaps a little strange for a question, but I would be interested in expanding on the issue of cryptocurrency and emissions. For example, the high energy cost associated with Bitcoin mining and mm -hmm. whether a greening of cryptocurrency is at all considered or even possible. Yeah, so it certainly is. And you're seeing that there's a number of what you should say green crypto cryptocurrency that is is happening um and that's you know people are focusing on that but that does depend on where is that happening and where's that taking place so and it does come down to the mining 
itself, where's the power being drawn drawn from? Uh, so, yes, but it's incredibly difficult to calculate because with Bitcoin mining, just the nature of Bitcoin mining, it, it's not a centralized approach. And so uh, for, for most, most part of it, so trying to develop a green cryptocurrency is extremely difficult because you just don't know where the power for most of that is coming from. Absolutely. I, I already covered it, covered the question in some other episodes. When I lived in France, every time I received a bill, uh, an electricity bill, at the end of every month, I saw how much of my electricity came from which source. 70% was from nuclear and right. then so on and so forth. You don't have this visibility everywhere in the world. Now I'm in Ukraine. That's right. No one knows what's going on. No. We have covered no. all the questions from the audience. This was amazing. And as an experiment, I think it worked super amazing. One last question from my side. On the more individual level, what would yep. you suggest we all do? Like streaming or download online events or maybe withdrawing for a while and giving ourselves and the, and the data storage is a, a little bit of a break. What, what shall we do? Shall we delete the emails that we don't want? Shall we unsubscribe? As simple as that, like very basic household actions. Yeah. While obviously it really isn't about reduction in your usage and the big guys, as we've covered, are very focused on renewable energy and more efficient energy source, you know, efficiencies, energy efficiencies in their data centers. So they're on top of it. It really comes down to our usage and our um, electricity. As you say, in the Ukraine, you're not really sure where it is, but in the UK or you know some parts of the US, I can go completely green at home. It may cost me more, but I can do that. And that's the biggest thing. It's not about stop watching Netflix. It's about changing your energy provider. <laughs> ah, see, this is where the, the core issue is. Frank, thank yeah. you so much for being with it's us today. Pleasure. It was an amazing episode. I really did not expect that, given that I was, I'm not um, on top of the topic, but you opened my eyes and I already took a couple of notes to continue my own research and I will leave that in the show notes. Turned out to be very dynamic. I really loved our experiment and I thank you again so much for being with us and sharing with the listeners of Sustainability Export. No problem. It was great fun. And um, as you said, we're out there to, with Equilibrium to, to help companies manage and hit those targets. They're, they're complex things to do and um, it's exciting, but we're up for the challenge. So Super. thank you. All the best with your work. So that's it for today. This was Frank Meehan on Digital Carbon Footprint on Sustainability Explored. I really hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as we all collectively loved working on it. I want to specifically thank my audience and everyone who took a moment to send me their questions. Everyone from LinkedIn, Facebook, and especially my dear beloved group of young European advisors from United Europe. That was amazing, guys. Thanks a ton. Uh, the guests loved your questions and so did I. And I, I really, really hope you found 
you found this session useful. As always, if you have any remaining questions for me or Frank, do not hesitate to reach out to us on LinkedIn. You can reach out to me and I will pass your question or contact directly Frank. We're all easily approachable, findable on LinkedIn. We are always eager to chat. If you like the podcasts, you know what to do. Subscribe, share on your social media, leave a review on a platform you're listening on. If you leave a review on our Podchaser page, I will be able to reply to you in person, as I always do. I always suggest some other related episodes, but today I don't even know what to tell you. Probably it's best to go back to the episode on circular economy. And this is probably it on circular economy with uh, Cleona Howie Del Rio. And, and that's it because we did not cover digital and technology at all so far. So I really hope you will find, you know, whatever else you find interesting on this podcast, we have covered a number of topics from certifications to mining, meaning coal mining and aluminium mining, bauxite, flowers, tourism, economy, green economy, and so on. You can always find something interesting on this podcast to listen to. And if you have any topic that bugs you, that you want me to cover or find a guest to cover it together, please shoot me a message. I'm always uh, happy and open to discuss. Finally, reach out to me on LinkedIn, as I always say. Uh, challenge me with your questions, suggest guests or topics. You can even nominate yourself as a guest. Another thing to mention is that we have a Facebook group, a LinkedIn page, and a YouTube channel. This interview will also be available on YouTube, so most of our conversations are now sitting there in the form of a video, so you can even e-meet, virtually meet our guests. This was Sustainability Explored, episode number 66, season six. And me, your host, Anna Chashina. As we are approaching the end of the year, I almost want to wish you a good upcoming 2021. And thank you again for listening, for being with us today. And until next time, next Thursday, as always. Take care, stay sustainable. Bye-bye.